Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Got a quick housekeeping notes for you guys. Uh, If you have been with our church for a while, you know that this church building is not our home. Uh, So this past week, we've been in conversations with uh, another potential building in Brighton. Uh, If you're a member of our church, we've talked about a Pentecostal church that we are still in discussions with. Uh, But this past week, a church, uh, or uh, excuse me, a building that I've reached out to a few times uh, got back to me. Uh, Kyle and I went and viewed their building. uh, And it's actually a temple that's right off of Com Ave. If you guys know where the Chiswick stop is in Brighton, where Yamato Sushi is, there's a park right there. If you guys know what I'm talking about, right near the reservoir, uh, we did a tour there and they got back to us and they said that it's very possible. It's open on Sunday mornings for us to gather uh, anytime in the morning times. And they've got AC and they've got heat and they've even got an air purifier for us if there's any COVID issues in the coming months. And so Uh, I know we don't usually do business like this. We're not voting today, but just want to let you guys know that I sent in a request uh, from our church about can we potentially rent from you guys? What would be the cost? I've shared our insurance package with them. So we know that if we burn down the building, which we won't, uh, then we can uh, afford that. And we asked about a rental price. And so we're in that conversation and I asked them, hey, if I can get all our paperwork done, get our members to decide if this is a good decision or not. What's the quickest we can get in? And they said, August the 21st. So with that said, I know there's a gasp if you're watching online, everyone's like, home? Yes, we get to return back to Brighton potentially. But this is what I need from you guys. This week, I need you to pray that conversations work out well. Uh, The request goes through this individual to the board of six people that sort of decide whether our church could or could not be there. And so be praying that that's an opportunity for us. We would be right off a T-stop. There's some parking there for us. It's a great opportunity. I'll reach out to this place during COVID. They said no, uh, like many places. uh, And then they did some renovations and we're the first people that reached out right after the renovation. So um, anyway, be praying for that. a possibility for us guys. And if you're okay, I would like to get started just to pray for that. And then as soon as I hear back members, you're gonna be the first ones to hear and we'll decide whether we can move forward in that space. So sound good? Okay, let's pray together. Um, God, we pray that you would help us to move back to Brighton. We love gathering in this church in Newton. We've been grateful for their hospitality, but we wanna be back home where many of us live and have neighbors and friends, where we've done a lot of our community outreach with Upward Basketball movie nights. God, would you open up doors for us to be back with our friends and neighbors whom we love and spend so much time with because we wanna have the easiest opportunity for them to hear your word and experience your presence right there in Brighton. And so God, as we navigate conversations, talk with our members, would you give us unity and direction? In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, guys, that's some good news to get started on, right? Um, So if you are joining us, we good? Excellent. Just want to give you guys a quick announcement. Uh, We decided to move our little ones uh, to a cooler place in our building temperature-wise. So if you're a parent, wanted to give you a heads up that we've brought the little ones and some toys down to the fellowship hall downstairs where the AC is pumping. If you as a parent don't feel comfortable with that, or if you just want to go check in on them, you are more than welcome during this time to check in on your little ones. If you're like, I'd rather just maybe hold them, that's okay. You can bring them up here. That's where we have our meals downstairs and the AC is blasting 
fasting on them. So if you want to go check on them, please feel free to do that at this time. It's not a bad thing. We want to make sure kids transition okay. They feel comfortable. So we made that executive decision with Valerie and other kids workers because we don't want your kids passing out in that room. Amen? Amen. Okay, parents. Lots of housekeeping items, right? Let's just get to the Bible. Here we go. James chapter 4. Uh, we've been in this teaching series and what we do at our church, we teach through a book of the Bible and we wanna go by verse by verse so that we don't miss anything that God has for us. And this week, uh, James is the author. He's the half brother of Jesus because of the virgin birth. There's a half brother, of course. And so James is writing to this early new Christian church and he's telling them about how to live according to how God lived for them. So Jesus is not only our example of how to live, but he's also the one who lived that example out perfectly so you could have that righteousness accredited to you. His perfect life accounted to your perfect record with God. So James is teaching us over and over again, how do we live the way that Jesus lived? And this week, guess what he's talking about again? Your lips, your language, your speech. Guys, how many sermons have we just done on how you speak to one another. Is this like number three or four? That's what I tracked in my notes, right? There's so many times that James gets on the hobby horse again because this is such a huge issue. We have a hard time speaking to each other lovingly at times in our marriages and with our kids. Sometimes we say really harsh words about our coworkers or our boss or our roommates and we speak unkindly to them and often unkindly about them. And James had that issue 2,000 years ago in the local church. And we have that same thing today. So James is yet again talking about how our lips, our language is connected to our hearts. And so to fix the language, he's not just saying, speak better, be kinder. He's saying, what's in your heart? How do you believe or feel towards people? And is that the way that Jesus sees them? And James' whole point is to draw our attention not on the law, but on the Lord. James wants us to see God's heart for people and then live according to that. So that's how James starts in verse 12 or verse 11. Here's what he says. He says, guys, do not speak evil against one another and then he says, my brothers. That word brothers is not just he's speaking to a couple of his siblings or to a bunch of men. That word brothers means Adelphoi. Uh, it actually means brothers and sisters. And so it's both. And so James is speaking to this church. And he's saying, listen, guys, don't speak evil against one another. My family in God is what he's saying. My, my siblings in Christ, my brothers and sisters. Now this verse starts out, uh, I don't know very well the original language. I took two courses in seminary, which I called cemetery because it almost killed me how hard the languages were. But I looked on the internet and the internet's a great help. I looked in commentaries. This very first verse starts out with not. And often in the Greek language, when it starts out with not or no, it's putting all of the tone or the emphasis on the verse on the beginning. That's what James is saying. Not speak evil, no speaking evil. So what he's saying here is that at any time, under any circumstances, you and I should never, ever, ever, ever do what he's about to say. And the Greek language shows that by showing you the emphasis, the tone, the importance at the very beginning of the verse. Do not. So then what's he say? 
What's he say that follows this? The Holy Spirit's trying to get us to see. We feel the tone, do not. He's being sharp and strong, but what's he saying? He's saying, do not speak evil against one another. Just take a moment to let that phrase just sink in for just a second. Do not speak evil against one another. So James, with this emphasis, is saying we should never, ever, at any point, is an acceptable response for a follower of Jesus to speak evil against another follower of Jesus. Guys, can you just imagine for a moment, what if we actually like live that out? If you as a Christian actually lived out not speaking evil to or about someone, what do you think that would be like? How do you think that would affect the culture of this church? the relationships in your CG, how you felt about someone that's gathered here together or online with us. How would that change if we just lived out that one command to not speak evil against one another? In fact, guys, if we even obeyed this command, I wonder if our social media would just sort of like dry up. All of our posts and our likes and our shares is often just kind of like a stab or a poke or a punch at somebody, right? often what we see happen. It would just dry up if we obeyed this command. And so what I'd like to do, because what I think James is doing, he unpacks this few verses by sort of asking two big questions, two big questions, and then one giving one belief statement, one statement that he kind of wraps it up with at the end. So here's the first question we're going to look at. What actually counts then as speaking evil against one another? If he's saying not to do it, then maybe we should consider what does it mean to actually speak evil? And so there's two phrases that I want to highlight here. The first phrase, again, he says, do not speak evil against. Those three words, speak evil against, is just one word in the original language. One part of that word means to oppose or to come against someone to attack. And the other one is to speak. And so the word is kataleleo, means to speak degradingly about someone to attack their good name and reputation, to slander, to talk negatively about someone. And guys, where do we see this often most played out in our culture? Politics, right? Not saying that everyone in politics is bad or evil. My brother Daniel is getting a PhD in uh, a concentration of politics. But especially around election season, what do you and I see? Do you and I see respectful political debates that are more about policy and direction? Or do we see candidates defaming and degrading the other candidates? What do you see more when you watch that? And guys, I'd be curious if that's how we see parts of the world live out politics, how does the world see us live out the gospel in the church? How do they see us speak about our brothers and sisters in Christ? How do they hear us speak about our spouse or a roommate or a child or someone in leadership? What does that look like for us? And that's what James is getting to. Do we speak degradingly about someone when they're made in God's image and God loved them enough to die for their sins on the cross? Do we speak and view them the way that God would speak or view them? To that very point, Bible commentator Thomas Mann points these words out from this verse. He says, any speech, oh, thanks, buddy. Appreciate that, man. Definitely need that. Thomas Manton says this, any speech that is used to be harmful to someone else, whether those words be true 
or false, that counts as speaking evil against another. Now, I think I have that on the screen here. And I think what's important about his, his notes on this verse is it doesn't matter whether you're speaking true or false things if the goal is to be harmful. Now, we all know that lying to or about someone is wrong, but what about talking truthful things about someone's faults or shortcomings in a degrading way? Do we see that as wrong as well? So guys, phrases like that person is just stupid at my work or they're just dumb or they're incompetent, that counts as speaking evil. Or comments like, man, I can't stand this person or this quality or what they do. I can't stand to be around this person. That's what James is talking about. Even further, another Bible commentator, A.T. Robertson says this, speaking evil of someone is this. It's to speak harshly, hurtful and harmful words or to go about someone in order to tear them down. Guys, speaking against one another, guys, can take all sorts of forms in our church, in our lives, in our hearts. And I wanna walk through just a brief list of these. And I want you to ask yourself, in this list, where do I maybe struggle? Now, just a moment of honesty, I struggle in all of these. Like 10 for 10, straight failure, struggle with this. And so I had to bring my heart to the Lord this week and ask, why does my heart boil up to my lips and speak certain things about certain people? So I want you to take a moment and just reflect here. Ask yourself, what area of this do you struggle in speaking about someone else? The first thing, uh, somewhat speaking evil against someone can be the constant critique or criticism about someone. Do you find yourself thinking or talking, constantly criticizing someone? And you could do this in the privacy of your own home with your spouse or your roommate, or this could be in your CG, and you just kind of constantly find yourself talking negatively about that person. That's what James is talking about. Or do you find yourself falsely damaging someone's reputation? You're kind of talking about them in order to put a little nick or slight on their character so that someone else views them the way that your heart views them. Or what about this? You bring up incorrect assumptions or accusations about someone to someone else. You may think that they did something because of this motive, and then you begin to build a narrative around this motive, and you begin to share that with others in a way that can be hurtful. That's what James is referring to. And quite quicker, is it harsh language? Do we use biting sarcasm? Ooh, this one got me this past week when I was looking at a list. I was like, I'm okay on some of that, but I can have biting sarcasm, which is basically, it's like me trying to jab you and then just like heal it with humor. That's what sarcasm is. Let me stab you and then let me just wipe humor on it as you bleed out with jokes. <laughs> That's kind of what sarcasm is, but that can be hurtful to others. And it makes others not want to be as honest or as open. And that's what James is talking about. Or maybe this, I've only got a few others, but I really had to think deeply about where in my heart do I speak evil to or about someone? What about this? Uh, divulging information to others that was privately shared with you and you shared it with others. They asked you not to, and therefore you went against it. And that hurt them and that harmed them. That's what this counts as. It could be exaggerating someone's faults. You're bringing them up over and over again to their face, pointing out how they can't do this or how they struggle with that. And you bring it up in a joking way, but it's taken in a hurtful way. The joke is really a jab 
And that jab comes from how you really judge them in your heart. That's where it comes from. This is the one that most gets me. Married people, I'm gonna call you out because you and I do this the most. This is hard for us. What I call angry absolutes. Ooh, here we go. You always do this. You never do that. Is anybody just kind of, anybody, right? Do we say that? Maybe you say that with your roommates. Maybe you say that to your kids. You're always doing this. Are we talking about that again? You never listen to me. You always don't do that. When we use angry absolutes, what are we assuming? That that person can't get their life together. They're never gonna change. And we're acting like God doesn't exist in their heart and life to transform or change them. And they're just stuck in their ways or that their motive is to hurt or harm you. And we use these angry absolutes. Guys, that list, are we all finding ourselves guilty here? All of us, every single one of us in the room, we seek to speak evil against others. And that's what James is getting to here. That just points out some of those things. That's the first phrase I wanted to unpack. Those are all examples of speaking evil of someone. Well, then he kind of brings it a little bit further in verse 11 by talking about the camp of people in which he's speaking to. Verse 11 says again, do not speak evil against one another. That phrase one another, guys, is such an important phrase in the New Testament. Guys, it comes up over 100 times. The two words in English, one another, is just one small little word in Greek that we talk about often in our membership course. It's alelon. And it comes up over and over. Mark uses it in his gospel. Jesus uses it over and over again. Paul uses it. Peter uses it. And James uses it. Over and over, we see this term, alelon, this one another. And what it means is it describes who we are as a family. It's one another of the same kind is what it means. He's saying, don't speak evil of one another of the same kind. Now listen, James is not saying this means white people together or black people together or this ethnic group or this language group or this culture or this economic status. He's not saying don't just speak evil of the one another of the same kind of that way. He's saying how in the world would we speak evil when the person who lives in that other one another Christian is holy, it's God, is what James' point is. How can you and I speak evil of someone that has God in them through the Holy Spirit? Why would we do that is what James's point is. Do not speak evil against one another. That is the Holy Spirit in them. Why speak evil when God has dealt with the evil in their life and put it on the cross? Why would we speak evil to or of them? Guys, this sort of language, one another, brothers and sisters is what he's saying, describes this fellowship life. And it talks about the identity of origin that we come from. Guys, do you know if you're a Christian, you are born in the image of God. He shared some of his characteristics with you. You can love because he's love. You can hate evil and wrong because he does. You can be merciful because he is. You can be just because he is. God shared his attributes with us. And so we're made in his image. So we're born in his image. And then if you're a Christian, you're reborn in Christ. You're reborn and you're born. And we share something together, so unique Christians, so powerful that this God came down, became human, lived in your place, died in your place to take your punishment, rose again to bring you a family, every tribe, nation, tongue. And if that's 
all the amazing work God did for us, then why would we speak evil of them if God chose to do good for them? Does that make sense? James is like, it doesn't make sense for you to speak evil when God could have done evil and spoke evil of them, but he chose the opposite. Do you see the point? This is a gospel matter that James is getting to, down to the heart of the gospel he's trying to get at. We're born in the image of God and born again through faith in Christ. Ephesians 4.29, Paul even resembles this language too. He says, guys, listen, let not corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good, that builds each other up as it fits the occasion, that it may, listen, give grace to those who hear. Guys, when you speak to your spouse, your kids, just really think about this, in your group, when you speak, do you think, are my words gracious? And when they fall on that person's ear with what they've been through during the week, is it fitting to build them up? Or am I actually responding out of what I dealt with this week and my hurt and my issues, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tear them down? That's what Paul's getting to. He's saying, your words, are they being used to build up someone that fits the occasion, that gives grace? And guys, so often my heart falls short in this camp. And we can speak hurtful words and harmful words to others. And when we do that, it's like this. Let me give you an illustration. When we speak hurtful, unkind words to others in the body of Christ, it's like this. It's like me taking a hammer and smashing my own hand because my own hand got in the way of something I was doing, thinking that I can hurt the hand and that it won't hurt me. Guys, what happens if I smack my hand with a hammer? Don't I get hurt? Absolutely. That's James's point. When you and I speak ill and hurtful words to someone else in the body of Christ, you don't just hurt them as some distant, isolated member of the body. No, no you hurt yourself and you hurt others that they're connected to. Guys, we are all linked and united because of the gospel. We're brought together as a family. And when we speak evil, we, you don't just hurt them. You hurt the fellowship that God died to bring together. Do you see why this is such a big issue? Such a big issue because of the impact it can have on our hearts and lives. So that's the first thing is what counts as evil? What counts as speaking evil? That's the first thing. But here's the second thing. We did not talk yet about why is speaking evil such a problem? That's the second question. Why is speaking evil against each other so wrong? Shouldn't, if someone does something bad or stupid or foolish, shouldn't you and I call them out, right? Do we just allow people to say what they want to us and act the way they want? Why don't we just tell them off? Like, don't we push back? Do we just allow anyone to do what they want? Why is it so big of a deal? That's what this question really, really unpacks. And that's why James keeps coming back to it over and over again. Each chapter, we see him talk about the lips and the language of our life. So why is it then so badly for us to privately even say something about someone else? Three quick reasons. First thing, this sounds um, maybe a little bit too cliche, but I just want you to bear with me just for a moment. Uh, maybe uh, you're like me and I came to faith not as a kid, um, but I came to faith when I was in college. I uh, didn't believe in Christ or the gospel or that the Bible was God's word. And so uh, I wanted to give this point to the seeker out there that was like me. And so here's the first reason why God says, 
that it's wrong to speak this way. The first thing is that when God gives rules, when God gives a command, he gives it to protect you from harm and to provide you some help. So when God is saying, don't speak evil, he's not just, hmm, what, com- what, what command can I give humanity today to just make them fail some more? And what are some arbitrary laws I can put in their way for them to stumble and struggle? That's, that's not the heart. Just like a good parent, every parent in the room, at some point you gave your love child you gave someone that you cared for that you were a guardian. If you ever babysat a kid, you have given some sort of rule for them. Not some arbitrary rule, but a rule to protect them from harm and to provide them some good. For example, when um, uh, Emily and I, we've shared this one before, when Emily and I will uh, walk across the street, our girls know to hold our hands. Hold our hands, we will cross the street because I'm trying to protect you from getting hit by a car and to provide you some help because if you've ever walked on Houston Road in Brighton, it's the worst thinking street in all of America, okay? It's the worst street. And so they're gonna trip on some giant mountain that's in the middle of the sidewalk, you know, grass shooting out of it. I don't know, like tectonic plates are right underneath my apartment complex pushing on each other. I don't know what it is. That's my, that's my, my rant for the day. But I hold it to protect them from some harm and, and, and give them some help. God's commands are similar, but yet so much better. When God tells us, hey, don't do something, he's not trying to limit your freedom or your flourishing. He's actually trying to protect it and advance it. When God gives any rule, it's for your good, not for your harm. So that's just the first thing. If you guys just see this, you're like, okay, yeah, I get the big point. Even if I can't unpack it perfectly for why you should not speak evil against someone, I just want you to trust that God has given it to protect from harm in your life and the other person's life, to protect you from some heartache and some fights, but also to provide you some help. It's not just about don't say it, but where did it come from inside of you? What made you feel or think those things about someone? God wants to care for that and to bring healing and help for you in the midst of that place. That's the first thing. The second reason why he tells us not to is for that very reason. Harsh words come from where? Harsh words come from a judgmental heart. In fact, James gets this from his half-brother, Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 15, these words. He says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. One Bible commentator sort of summarizes it and says, what starts in the heart overflows in the mouth. Essentially what Jesus is saying. So when we speak evil of a brother or sister in Christ, what's it reveal? It reveals that your heart has judged them to be lesser than you. Less wise, less smart, less woke, less caring, whatever the word may be, less aware, whatever the word may be, our heart has looked at them. We sat as judge, sat as jury. Our hearts rose up the sentence and said, you are less than me. Therefore, I'll speak less about you. That's what happens. That's what Jesus and James is saying. We get that from this verse again. The one who speaks against a brother is the same. It's just the same. Or he says, it's judging a brother. So James connects it to speaking against, speaking evil is you judging someone as lesser than you. To judge simply means to pass an unfavorable judgment on someone or to condemn someone 
condemn their worth and their value and importance to be less than yours. That's what's happening when we speak out evil against someone else. Meaning that the reason you and I say those things out of our mouth is because in our heart, we've already condemned them as lesser than us. What we do is we look at someone's life, we look at their decisions, we look at what they say, and here's what happens. They fall short of whatever expectation we measured them with. We have our list of here's what a wise person is, a smart person, a fun person, whatever. We put that list on them in our hearts and then they fall short of that list. And then we feel justified to give a pronouncement in our words to decrease their level of significance. And all of us do it, included me. That's why even Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, he says, judge not that you may not be judged. Now, if you're a Christian, when I said that verse, you're like, yeah, but Aaron, like, come on, man, shouldn't we practice some good judgment in our relationships? Like, is Jesus really meaning that we should like never have a judgment on someone's actions as good or bad or wise or unwise? Is that really what Jesus is saying? No. Jesus is actually commanding us that we should never have a critical condemning spirit towards the worth of others. Of course, you and I can establish good judgment in our relationships. This is a wise action. This is an unwise action. That's a good thing. That's not a good thing. That's a harmful thing. But if you and I look at the person and we don't just judge the action as something that was hurtful or harmful, but we judge them as being lesser because of what they've done, that's what Jesus is talking about. Does that make sense? That's what he's calling out here. So really the bottom line is, guys, it's, it's impossible for you to say, I love one another and at the same time be critical or condemning towards one another. You can't say, I love and speak evil or unkindly about another. Not possible. You can't genuinely love your brother or sister in Christ and speak evil to them at the same time. Because not only are you breaking God's law, about speaking evil against them, but you're also breaking God's law about loving them in a right way. And guys, I find myself in this place often. So guys, what do we do then? What happens if we see a brother, sister in Christ that's maybe acting unwise or acting foolishly or they're, they're hurting their marriage or they're making an unwise financial decision? Do we just say, well, I can't judge. I really can't say whether that's good or bad or I can't really say anything to them. Do we not have a responsibility to speak lovingly and truthfully into the lives of others? Guys, the answer is yes, we should. We should speak lovingly and truthfully into each other's lives. But here's the distinction. Please don't miss it. As Christians, you do have a biblical responsibility to speak critically into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, not to speak critically about their lives. Do you see the distinction? Speaking critically into their lives is discussing the details and the nuance and the heart of why they make the decisions they make rather than just condemning someone for the decision. Anyone can do that. But the real Christian says, why did their heart run that way? Why did they say those things? What's going on in their life and their reasoning and their beliefs about the gospel that made them choose that? So guys, it is good and right as a Christian to speak critically into the lives of each other because we love each other. 
Just like if my little one, my little girl, if he was to run out in front of a car, I wouldn't want you to say, well, she's just got to make that decision. I don't want to judge her for that. No, I hope that you would call her out. No, Kiana, come back. You would run after her. If she was going to walk and make a decision, run into a car, right? I would want you to say something. So guys, we are biblically responsible to critically speak into the lives of each other with truth and grace, but we have no biblical authority for you and I to sit out in private rooms and have discussion behind the scenes and text and Facebook posts and all this speaking critically about people's lives. Guys, in fact, Jesus even tells you how to do this. He gives a whole section on reconciliation and bringing someone back in Matthew 18. Let me just show this to you. This is so key, guys, because Christians are known to be the most judgmental people, but we never care for the heart. Just here's what you do wrong. Stop doing it. And we're just like this police of moral values. And Jesus is saying it's, it's way more than that. It's way more. We've got to care deeper. We've got to love better. And so here's what he's saying, guys. Listen, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you or in general, if they're wandering in a sinful pattern, if they're harming themselves, their family, others, here's what we're called to do. We go and tell them the fault, you and them alone. Notice what it doesn't say. Tell your whole CG, tell your whole DNA group, share it on Instagram, Facebook, text everybody about it. No, it says you go to them alone. This doesn't mean that you can't get wise counsel beforehand. I'm not saying that, but what's the motive for you talking about? Is it to glean wise counsel and then take action or is it just a vent? Huge distinction in the Christian life. So first you go to that person because maybe you and I don't have the right perspective. Maybe what we thought was unwise, maybe we didn't have all the pieces. So that's why when you're sinned against, when you see something unwise, you gently and lovingly say, hey, do you mind if we connect about this? I wanna make sure you're doing okay. Something seems maybe a little bit off. Can we, can we just meet, just, just you and me? Privately, I wanna ask some questions to make sure you're okay. It's about love and care. If the person listens to you, then you've gained your brother. You sort of rescue them from their fault. If he doesn't listen, step two, you take one or two along with you that also maybe see the issue at hand and you don't form a giant tribe about it, it's just one or two others that, that may see the same struggle. And you go to that person, you sort of bring up the evidence, you discuss it. And if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. This can mean numerous things, by the way. That means you can get a community group leader. You can get a pastor. If it goes so far, then maybe the members come together of the church, the church that they call home. And they say, together, let's love this person that's wandering in sin or hurting themselves. And what's it say at the very end? And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Now that's interesting because most conservative Christians think, you just say, you just oust them from the church is what that verse means. No, no, no. How did Jesus treat a tax collector? Didn't he share the gospel with them? So maybe he's saying if we've not, the person's not turning from what's harming them or harming others or their sin, maybe they've never trusted in Christ. So what do you do? You share the gospel, you pray for them, you love them. This is what would create the care that our church and our world needs rather than our passive aggressive words, text, statements. This is what true love and reconciliation goes to. And notice you go again and you go again and you go again. If they continue to re refuse to listen to your wise counsel, your care, you continue to love them. Treat them as a Gentile or tax collector, which Jesus spent time with and prayed, had meals with and taught the scriptures to. Does this make sense? This saves us 
from speaking evil about someone because we just go to them and have conversations about what went wrong. Guys, we got to do this because you don't have a perfect perspective on what that person's thinking. And we can't build false narratives behind the scenes about why they chose that action. You've got to go to them and help them and walk through what that is. So you've got to assume the best. Clear communication is helpful. Third reason here, third thing. Why is it so important for us to not speak this way? Because harmful or harsh words about our brother and sister in Christ, it destroys our what? Destroys our witness to the world. The verse says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, what do they do? It speaks evil against the law and that person judges the law. Listen, when a person judges the law, they're saying, I usurp the place of the lawgiver. I'm now the new lawgiver. So I'm not gonna obey this command is you also saying, I'm giving new commands. I'm a new lawgiver and I'm gonna live my way. And guys, like we talked about before, the law of God is what? It's his love explained to you in a systematic way through the scriptures in a really practical way. That's what God's law is. And every single one of us has fallen short of that law. And that is why Christ came to live out the law perfectly, give you his righteousness so you can have a relationship with him. And then that frees you to live out his law, not to gain his love, but to live out the loving way he intended you to live in the first place. Does that make sense? So God's book is not about where you what you should do and how to live better and how to be a Christian. No, it shows you that you can't do it perfectly. And that Christ did it for you. And then once you trust him, it frees you to live this way. Because if we act out away from this command, it destroys our witness to the watching world. Guys, Matthew 22, Jesus says that very same thing. He's in a debate with some scribes and Pharisees and they say, hey, teacher, which is the greatest of the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second's like it, he then says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So here's what he's saying here. If you love God with your whole heart, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll never break one of God's commandments, is what it's saying. And James is telling us here that when we speak evil against one another, we are failing to love one another and we're failing to love God and we're rejecting his law and his authority. That's what James' point is. So what we're really saying is when we pronounce judgment in our hearts and speak evil against others, we're saying to God, God, I'm not following your laws, not treating people like you're treating them. And when we do that, we're denying God's authority. We're acting like we're the law and the lawgiver, and we start damaging the reputation of Christ to a watching world. Jesus actually tells you, church, do you know what shows the world the power of God in our life? Do you know what it is? It's not how smart you are, how much money you have. It's your love for one another. That's what shows the world that what we believe is actually true. John 13, 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just the way I loved you. You were also to love one another. He says, by this, by your love, People will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So guys, listen, do you know there's a direct correlation when we speak evil or unkind about our spouse in front of our kids, we're saying something about the gospel. That they're here, God loves everybody. Well, why does my mom or dad not love the other person or my kids or their coworkers? 
there's something must be wrong here about the concept of, of love. There's a direct correlation to evangelism, sharing the gospel with others. If you and I say, yeah, I love my neighbor, I love people, but all we talk about with each other is kind of hate and criticism, what are we doing? Jesus is telling us that the proof of us really being in a relationship with God is how we love one another in the room. And if we don't have love within the room, then what are we saying really about God and his love and his ability to change us? So listen, when you and I are bad-mouthing speaking critically of others, here's what it's telling us. It's telling us that you and I deny God's authority. We put ourselves in his place and we communicate to the watching world, my law matters over his. And that's the most tragic thing that I think I saw in 2020 as a whole with Christians, not just our church, but in Christianity. We watch Christians go to war over Twitter, social media in front of a watching world, just slaying each other about racial issues and COVID issues and political issues. So void of scripture, so void of grace, so void of even truth. Into a watching world, they just saw us fight and yell. Guys, our church is a part of the SBC and sometimes on Twitter, it's just a dumpster fire about how we speak to and about one another. And Jesus is saying that the apologetic to show my transforming power is through how you love. And you and I say, I want to live my own way, speak my own direction. And we're communicating something about God's love for all people, no matter what they do. So guys, that's why speaking evil is such a big deal. We talked about what counts as speaking evil. And the last quick point is this third thing, this final statement. God tells us that God will have the final say. God will have the final say. This is a really harsh verse, but let me unpack it to you. He says in verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. And this is Jesus and he is able to save and destroy. Now, this seems like a harsh verse, but it gives us some hope. So for some of you in this room, you have been the victim of really hurtful and harmful things said to you and about you. You've been degraded You've been mistreated. You have had someone speak evil about you or your reputation. And here's what James is telling you in this verse. God has the ultimate authority over your life, not that person. He's the final judge of what's true, not that person. God will have the final say about your worth and value, not that person. And you can trust him in the end to do what's right in his good timing with what that person said or did to you. And until then, until he makes it right, here's what you need to know. That God, for whatever sovereign reason, is allowing that hurt in your life to conform you more to the image of Christ and to produce something in your life that is good for God's glory. And he has a purpose for it. So when you are degraded, mistreated, spoken against, you can still trust him he says that he is the one and only lawgiver, the one and only judge. He's able to save and he's able to destroy. Guys, just a quick note. If you're the one that has hurt someone in our church, which can happen commonly as much time we spend together, Jesus gives us some care antidotes here. If someone has spoken something unkind to you, it's been kind of living in your heart, Jesus tells you in Matthew 5, to go and have a conversation with them. If you know that you've said something hurtful to someone else, Matthew 5 also tells you that you should go and talk to that person. Here's what he says. 
Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, meaning if you're in church, if you're in CG, if you're anywhere, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, man, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother or sister first and then come offer your gift. Do you know what that means? God is caring more about your reconciliation to one another than whatever worship words you say to God. That's a, that's a really strong statement. If you have tension or conflict with someone else in your family, in this church, God is saying, I would rather you take a moment from just lifting up whatever words, whatever offering you're giving to the Lord. I want you to leave that there, he says. I want you to go and reconcile with that person because that person is what? They're born in the image of God and they're reborn in the gift of Christ in the gospel. And that's so important. Then whatever words we can lift up, however much money we give to the advancement of the gospel in our church, it's so key. As one pastor and author, Roy Hessen says this, everything that comes as a barrier between us and another, be it ever so small, comes as a barrier also between us and our fellowship with God. Our relationships with our fellows and our relationship with God are so linked that we cannot disrupt one without disrupting the other. Have you felt that in your own relationships that CG's awkward? If you have conflict with someone else, like you feel like you just can't get the depth that you wanted. Maybe it's a own devotion time and you're trying to read or pray and you're so frustrated with that person that you're struggling to connect with God. Does that ever happen to you guys? You get a fight with your roommate, your spouse on the way over to church and you're like, I am a child of God. He rose from the dead, or however the song goes, right? And you're just kind of like angry. You're kind of distracted. Why? Your, your vertical relationship with God is also affected by your horizontal relationship with others. Why? Because we're united. We're connected. We are one in Christ. So guys, what Jesus is saying, it's so important that you don't speak evil, but you also work with what's going in your heart and you work it out with your relationships. It's so key. And guys, as we conclude, I want to give you the hope of this passage. The text concludes with something that's so beautiful about the gospel. He tells us the good news here, and it's so clear. James says there's only one lawgiver and judge. His name is Jesus. There's a definite article that's there. The lawgiver, the judge that we don't see in English. He's able to save and he's able to destroy. Guys, I don't know if it's your first time to church or our church or you're watching online. I wanna share with you, this is the beauty of the gospel. God is able to save your sin because he destroyed it on the cross. And all of us in this room online, every human ever to be born will stand before God one day. And you'll either stand before him as your savior because you placed your sin on the cross where he died for you and he placed his perfect righteousness on you. And you'll stand before him as your savior and you'll be joy and tears of happiness and hope and everything that was broken in your life will be made new and repaired when you go to eternity. You'll stand before him either as your savior or you'll stand before him as your judge. Well, God, because he is a perfect lawgiver and he is so righteous and good, he cannot let evil go without justice. So either you will stand before him one day with your sins paid for, or he will say, you must pay. And on that day, God will look at all the 
sins of our past, the things we did in our hearts, things in our life. And if we did not have Christ pay for those, we must pay for those in a relationship away from God for all of eternity. We're carrying out the sentence of God's justice. My joy is that you would see in this verse that there's only one lawgiver and we fell short, but that one lawgiver came to live perfectly in your place. Jesus was judged so you wouldn't have to be. Jesus came so that you would be saved so that you would not be destroyed. He came to destroy your sin so you could be saved from it. And this is what James is saying. He's able to save. He's able to forgive whatever ill word you spoke to your spouse, your previous spouse, your kids. He's able to save you and forgive you from that. He's able to save, forgive, and love and give you new life. Would you only just believe it, trust it, give your heart to it? And then you stand before him one day as your savior. Do you see the good news in this? James starts with saying, do not do this. And then he slays us all because we've all done it. The very end, he's like, no, 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 he's, he's able to save. He can forgive and free and give you a new life. But if we don't turn to Christ, give our heart to him, then God is just, he is a lawgiver and he will execute his justice. God, it's a heavy way to end our service, but this is, this is the clear gospel that we have a hope and a savior that can forgive and free. So let us speak like he spoke. Let us love like he loved. Let us speak truth the way that he spoke truth and do it in his ways. Let's pray together. Uh-huh.